Well, welcome to uh, Backstreet Talk of the Town. I'm Tom Gosnell, filling in for Jim Chapman. He's on vacation. If you've got questions or comments, uh, call it uh, um, 643-1290 or star-1290 on the Rogers ATT network. Uh, right now, we have uh, Susan Eagle, who's a counselor on Municipal Council in London, Ward 7, and uh, Robert Metz, who's the full-time leader of the Freedom Party. President, not leader. President of the Freedom Party. And uh, this may be, as I said earlier, maybe the first time actually I'm in the center of any discussion here. Certainly we've got... Uh, it remains to be seen. Well, you, so, you sounded pretty right-wing this morning, what I've heard so far anyway. Well, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I don't, I'm, this is a good question maybe. Um, do the meaning, do the sayings of left and right really apply in the 21st century now? Because I find myself in a difficult position where I'm fiscally conservative, but I'm much more moderate on... Um, Social issues. So you'd be um, more liberal on social issues. issues. Yeah. So I, I, well, see, I would describe myself that way too, and yet I would say the two of us are very different in many respects. In in what way? Now, probably a red Tory. Well, I'm not sure. I like the the the, the connotations of Tory or grit or left or right or. Well, I, I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not sure if we're going into a new dynamic now. I don't think you can label on a person anymore, but I still think you can stick it to issues. I think you can say that a certain issue is left-wing or right-wing, and some people will support a left-wing issue, like a, an issue that's left-wing in one case and an issue that's right-wing in another. Yeah, another way. And to they look, feel very disenfranchised. Well, another way to look at it, and, and Susan, jump in on this, is that it. My my feeling has been there are some things that the government can and should be involved with. We can't leave people out of the opportunities that are available in this community in in our society. And I guess what I'm getting at are some basic things like health care, like mm -hmm. uh, education. See, I would disagree mm -hmm. strongly on both well, of those. We'll we just get to you in a second. But the last time uh, Robert and I were on, we were, got into quite a debate about health care and education, so I'm not sure we want to revisit those. But let me say this, Tom. It's been really quite insightful for me being on council, because when I went on council, there were certainly preconceived ideas about sort of where people were going to stand on issues, and there was a sense that... And I know in some city councils like Toronto, you have there is that ideological breakdown in terms of people already having sort of party alliances. But I was really quite surprised when I got on council, the way in which when we got to a vote, you could not predict totally how people were going to interpret or, or read an issue or, or what some of the um, outcomes know, were going to be when you actually got uh, to the that's, voting. That's a very important point, because when I was on council... Um, elected in 1978, I expected the same type of uh, mm -hmm. scenario that you've indicated, there'd be NDP members and there'd be a left-right and all that, and I found that one of my best friends, and still one of my best friends, was that crazy liberal Joe Fontana, and I didn't expect to get along with him at all on certain issues, and yet, by and large, we, number one, respected each other, and we disagreed, but it was often him taking a more conservative position than I did. Mm -hmm. And yet he was a so-called liberal and I was a so-called conservative. And we found that very amusing over the years. So that's why I keep coming back to thinking that when we apply the terminology of liberal or conservative or reform or um, socialist, that does it really apply except on specific issues? Well, the problem is those particular terms have all come to mean pretty much the same thing. Whereas the op opposing word now is libertarian. That is the, the one philosophy that segregates itself from all other, what we call way. collectivist In other words, there's libertarians all, and then there's the rest of us. Exactly, <laughs> basically. And uh, libertarian is the way the world is going and has been going despite politics. Not because of it, but despite it. 
the Internet is one of the great examples of libertarianism. In, in the in short action. term, it may be going that way, but if you look at history over the past few thousand well, years, governments we have will a, try to exercise we have a their chance. authority. We, yeah. we do have cycles. Uh, you know, that's like gun control. I don't know where you stand on that. You I'm know, opposed to it. Gun control. Like, mm -hmm. So it would be all right for people to go out and buy an M16 if they wanted to, an infantry assault rifle, if they felt that it was in their interest to have one. Mm -hmm. Susan, I'm sure you don't agree with that. Well, no, Robert and I don't agree on most things. It's their right to do that. In fact, even his read of history is, I have a different read on history. Well, I remember meeting a congressman, a former congressman from Cleveland, and he said, the one thing you have to remember about Americans from the right wing is that they think it's their God-given right to have an MX missile in their backyard. And I think well, that pretty, no, that's pretty a, much that's summed up uh, what... Uh, that's a complete aberration. Well, the point, is, the point is, uh, getting back to, to gun control here, don't you think that it's in the public's interest to at least have a, a registry of making sure that guns Absolutely fall not. into the hands of felons or convicted, well, convicted felons? Felons and convicted people are going to get guns regardless of what laws we have. I mean, even if you put people in, in prisons, they still get, you know, drugs you that, that they want to use. Uh, you you have more control. You have more of a mon monopoly in the laws. That most of the laws that that we're dealing with, for example, drug laws, I think create about three quarters of the crime in North America, mm -hmm. and we should get rid of drug laws. Well, I think we need to but, re revisit it. But let's look but at the some, point. Let, is we just, have the right just, to self defense. Well, let's just look at some statistics, though. You, you, Los Angeles has more murders every year than mm -hmm. all of Europe, and mm -hmm. Canada has a fraction, a bare fraction, of the murders from handguns or guns that the United States has. So having the, having the availability of gun isn't, isn't that sort of um, putting at risk society by having such easy access to weapons? I think the problem in a lot of those areas is not availability of guns, because if they don't have guns, they use other weapons. Gangs, gangs get together and use everything from chains to Molotov cocktails. But the murder rate is significantly less. It's not just the access to the weapons that's the issue here. It's the public attitude that you're cultivating and uh, Martin Luther King Jr. at one point said, you can't legislate morality, but you can set standards. And when you start to set standards and expectations, you cultivate a certain kind of public consciousness around what's appropriate mm -hmm. or inappropriate, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so part of, the f the, part of the impact of gun laws is not just your ability to completely restrain those guns, because Robert's right, um, felons will always find ways around laws but what you do is you begin to cultivate this public attitude that says we I'm don't want guns we citizens, don't need no we don't want That's guns we don't about. need guns and we'll find other ways to be in community together than uh through everybody packing a gun under the front seat of their car and so i think it's what you do with your 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 public education and your mm -hmm. setting of standards that's just as important as policing the people who do or don't have the guns. That's part of setting that kind of gun Robert control. Robert, quickly. I, I remember just recently reading a, a, a column by Michael Korn, who, by the way, does not like guns, but strongly believes that everyone should have a right to own a gun. And he recalls after World War II how kids would bring their father's guns from the war into the classroom and in the schools, and they were fully operational. Mm -hmm. And no one ever felt threatened. No one ever felt, and there were no violent incidents and things like this. It was a matter of the of the basic fabric of society and the basic integrity of people at the time compared to today, which I think is largely caused by public education, taxpayer mm -hmm. dollar education. Mm -hmm. And that would be the first thing I'd ever fix if I got into you politics. Have, uh, open uh, access to guns for anyone? Well, it's not, not an issue of open access. It's an issue well, of the right should, to own a gun. Why should someone have the right to own an infantry assault weapon? Well, for example, in the United States, there are private infantries, and they're all duly registered, and they're all duly, you know, just like a... 
Uh, like the uh, Michigan militia. Uh, that's one example, and there's also even private things like Brink Security. There's all kinds of organizations that require weapons for self-protection. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the word, that's the bottom line. And if the people who are coming at me have an M16, then I should have one, be, have the right to have who, one, who, too. Who, who does the militia and, in Michigan think is going to come at them that they need an M16? Well, I don't think that's the issue there. I think they're there to do the same as the regular is. militia is. You know, they have to operate under the authority of the government unless that government becomes an outlaw itself. Well, that, that leads me to... Which uh, is one the, of those fundamental rights that, of the that American leads Constitution. Me, that leads me to the, uh, the... I don't know if you saw the commercial and the, the coverage of the uh, NRA reappointing uh, Charlton Heston when he said uh, the, the, uh, the amendments that give the Americans a right to bear arms, Mr. Gore, is something you should be aware of. And then he took an old musket, raised it over his head, and said from these cold, dead hands. And it was the most frightening thing I think I've seen on TV for a long time because this man truly believes that he's not protecting himself from a burglar. He's protecting himself from the U.S. government. Absolutely, and that's the main reason that what the citizens should have the right to bear arms because the greatest threat to any citizenry is their own government. As governments encroach more and more of our lives in terms of confiscating taxation, uh, restricting freedom of choice, freedom of enterprise, these things become inevitable. Yeah. Listen, we've got some callers. We've got Jim on line one. Jim, go ahead. Yeah, I want to ask uh, Susan a question. Do you think it's morally right for me, who I'm not handicapped, to park in a handicapped parking spot? Well, uh, just uh, let me see. Get me. I, I'm not handicapped. Uh -huh. I don't have a handicapped sticker, but I park my car in that spot. Is it right or wrong? Well, no. first of all, it's it's illegal because no, no, the, the government right has said. Well, I'm just getting there. It, it first of all is illegal. No, no, um, it's, right or wrong. it's yes or no. Answer. Is it right or wrong? Because you well, the point. I, you made the point that we cannot legislate morality. Okay, let me explain and what no, I meant let, by. Let me, let me you, Jim. Let me explain Jim, what I meant by Jim, it. Let, let yeah, Susan. Okay. Uh, when when Martin Luther King Jr. made that comment, he was speaking about racism, and what he was trying to say was we can't legislate people's minds. We can't change a racist from thinking racist thoughts but what we can do is we can control his ability to express his racism and so that he was trying to make the distinction between saying you're not going to change the way people think necessarily by just saying you can't think that way anymore but by controlling their actions by control yes he d it wasn't censorship though by setting some community standards he said you can control racists in terms of, of your handicapped parking, I guess I look at it more in terms of saying if you're inconveniencing people who are handicapped from parking there, then, yeah, I think it's pretty unethical if you're able-bodied and you go and park in a, a handicapped parking spot. So we do legislate morality. We legislate some standards, yes. Well, I'm not sure but it's morality. But I was making the distinction in terms of morality being how people think. Yeah, Jim, I don't think it's morality and that uh, has led to uh, handicapped parking. I think it's, it's a recognition that there, there are those in our community that need some help in terms of access, and that's why we have handicapped parking. Well, standard, Tom, I may not be a handicapped person, and ethically, I, I, that's their problem. That's how I look at it. But so we do legislate ethics and morality but uh, it's that's not ethics morality that's just uh, their physical limitations and i think that any society that's worth anything will will try to make uh, laws and uh, programs available but, for those who need I a helping hand yeah but i understand where, where where bob's coming from like as a libertarian 
they're, they're self-governors in both personal and economic matters, and they believe government's only purpose, now correct me if I'm wrong on this, Bob, mm -hmm. your only purpose is to protect people from coercion and violence, correct. and you value individual responsibility. Absolutely. At the other side is, I believe, is Susan. She's an, author uh, 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 she's an authoritarian, right? She wants to see mm -hmm. total government intervention in all kinds of uh, areas of our lives. Exactly. Well, that was precisely not the point I was trying to make. I was trying to say that we set some standards and we cultivate some community values. Well, well how do you set you a standard? Start to live, You're talking by law, right? Let's, as soon as you start to live in community together, you have to have certain rules for people to live together in some kind of community. Otherwise, you just have chaos. So as soon as we live together, and it's an argument I've had with Robert many times, as soon as you want to drive on a road, you have to decide if everybody's going to drive on the right-hand side. Well, that's setting a rule. Well, the rule that I said is that you can't initiate coercion against somebody else for your own ends, and that's the only rule you need in society to live peacefully. You know, you say we have to control racists. I would put it to you that the only way to control racists is to give them full freedom of speech, let them say what they want, and then counter their ideas. Whenever this whole rise in racism in this country has come concordant with censorship of racists, of trying to put down the Ernst Zundels and the James Keegsters and all those people, and then they create a huge following, because what well, the censors are saying Well, Robert, do you think they should act in a racist way, too? No. So Never. you are prepared you to control them at some point. Yes. We, we prevent <laughs> coercion in society. That's exactly the line at which we prevent these things. So you don't agree with the laws that uh, are trying to prevent the incitement of hatred? And you can't uh, incite hatred. You can only feed upon existing hatred or prejudice. You can't well, make a person hate somebody just by giving them a story. Otherwise, you know, Susan says you can't cure a racist, so obviously it must be true the other way around. You can't make a racist either. Well, I didn't I say you can't cure a racist. Well, I think you can very much by creating some community values and helping people realize that, that there's certain standards that okay, are unacceptable. Listen, we've got another call here. Uh, Jim, thank you for calling. We've got Gord on line two. Hi there. I'm just kind of stunned and amazed that uh, some of the, the people on the panel today are completely unaware of history. Uh, I'm not sure that we've ever had a time in history where people have ever been allowed to self-defense except in the United States, and that throughout history it's been governments that have uh, corralled and murdered and killed people, and I, I'm stunned that uh, Tom Gosnell would be... Uh, you know, amazed that uh, Charlton Heston saying that uh, he would be willing to defend himself against Gestapo from invading his house and taking away his guns. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that, that you. Well, I'm not sure that the U.S. federal government is in the same category as the Gestapo. What I'm talking about, Mr. Well, well, let me let me history. finish. If you no, like, no, no, well, let me say this because you've got more time than I do. Right. What I'm saying is that throughout history. Governments have a record. It, it, just look at history. It, it's plain to see that governments have a history of oppression and, and coercion, and people have a right to defend themselves against such thugs. It's, against uh, their own government. Uh, of course. Again, uh, if you were a German in 1940 and you live in Nazi Germany, don't you think that you would have a right to defend yourself against your own government? Well, I, I think that um, if I, I I don't agree with that. I, I let's you get don't back. Think let's, people let's should get be allowed back. to defend themselves. Well, I, you do that by being involved in politics by electing oh, people. Oh, that's BS. I well, mean, come on. Once the government becomes oppressive well, and totalitarian, you have no right. 
Jim, I think Winston Churchill was right when he said democracy may not be perfect, but it's the best system we've got. Because history will no, show that without... freedom is the best system we got, well, not democracy. Well, we can disagree I mean, on the, that. I mean, the Greeks had democracy, too, and they, they were known to slaughter each other on a regular basis. Hey, listen, mankind is capable of many terrible things, but yeah, I think but that the freedom, history, freedom and, any and reasonable reading of history will show that uh, the Western societies, especially here in North America, have done a pretty good job of protecting our rights and giving us an opportunity to, to voice right. our we concerns. Have to be, we have to be vigilant against the terrorists and the totalitarians who would take I away totally our freedom. I totally agree. I'm not saying that the way to do that, though, is to arm every family with an M16. Well, Good no, idea. but of course we have to allow freedom of speech and freedom of action, and once that is taken away, then we do have the right to do that. Gord, um, there were uh, Germans during the 1940s who defended themselves against the German government, and they didn't do it with force of arms because they realized that that would be futile. What they did was, in some cases, they... Um, help to protect and hide Jewish people in the community. Um, some of them spoke out against the government and were arrested. One of the people I have great admiration for, a theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was imprisoned um, and even from prison continued to give support to people who opposed the Nazi government and finally died for it. I think that's often the path of resistance. I don't think well, packing a musket over your shoulder... After the guns um, were taken away. I don't think packing a musket over your shoulder and saying you're going to fight the government with violence because you don't like a violent government is really any kind of solution at all. Right. I mean, to say that the only resistance we have is non-coercion when the other side is willing to take you off and gas you is ridiculous. Absolutely. Well, I'm not sure that we've seen too much of that in Canada the United States, but Robert? Well, you have to look at the direction that we're moving in. For example, Ontario's human rights commissions are completely arbitrary bodies that don't, that don't even stick to any level of what we would call common law practices or common law accepted issues, such as simple things like uh, being presumed innocent before guilty. There, are, there aren't even such issues brought before the human rights commission. You're guilty and all that's the, at issue is what they're going to fine you. And they say so in their findings, they say it explicitly, and Canadians accept this. And in many ways, I think we are very much like the Germans of the 1930s. We accept government legislating race. I don't think a race, race should even be mentioned in government legislation. We shouldn't be defining people by race, group, and culture. That breeds racism um, when you do so politically. Uh, racism is always at its lowest ebb, although it always continues to exist, in countries that have the greatest degree of freedom and allow them greatest freedom of expression because they fall by the wayside. An idiot's an idiot. I mean, <laughs> if he's making decisions on ridiculous things like that, mm -hmm. that's very self-evident. What scares me is the people who want to censor them, because what they're telling me is that they don't have a better idea, and the only way that they can counter this person is by, by shutting them up, and that, that makes me very suspicious. Okay, let's uh, flip to another... Uh, thanks for calling, Gordon. Let's okay. flip to another uh, topic that um, we'll get to in just a moment. We're... Um, at uh, 1290 CJBK, the phone number 643-1290 or 12, star 1290 on the Rogers AT&T. This is Talk of the Town. We'll talk to you in a minute. Welcome to Back to Talk of the Town. I'm Tom Gosman filling in for Jim Chapman. I've got Bob Metz and Susan Eagle with me in the uh, studio today. And uh, we just had a nice dust-up over gun control. And maybe we can get to something <laughs> equally as controversial um, that's happening south of the border that's... Um, that ultimately has a big impact. What, what happens in American politics has a big impact eventually on Canadian politics and even our local communities. And one of the issues they're looking at are school vouchers. 
and uh, Mr. Bush with the Republican Party is looking at a, an opportunity to have voucher, vouchers available with uh, full accreditation and financing from government to schools with voucher programs, including private schools. And uh, the Democratic position is somewhat different, that uh, they should be pretty much restricted to the public school system. So, Susan, you've been following this, I'm sure, and you've talked about it before. What do you think of the ideas of the voucher system and the public versus private system of education? Well, I've always been a supporter of public education, Tom. Um, I, I think it's the way in which we reach the most people and provide the best, the most good. Um, I haven't, um, I'm sorry, particularly been following the voucher system in the States. Um, but since you have, <laughs> maybe I'll play center and you play. <laughs> Robert, Robert, you've uh, obviously taken a position off this. I've always been in favor of tax-directed uh, tax education dollars to the school of one's choice, and it shouldn't just be to a public school. When Democrats are saying that they want to restrict the vouchers to the public school system, which, by the way, by that they mean the state education system as opposed to the private schools that are also part of the public school system, um, what they're saying is that they already know in advance that people would flock to the private schools and abandon the public schools if given a choice to do so. And that, of course, is what the market has been saying for decades and decades and decades. But the political interests that run the, the, the education monopoly uh, handicap people who want private education, who want alternate education because they have to still pay to the state. You know, I, I thought it's like, you know, you want to go buy a Ford, but in order to buy the Ford, you're still forced to pay for the Chevy. Yeah, and then and then 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 they tell you, oh, but you still have the freedom to buy the Ford. You know, that's yeah. that's the argument yeah. that that state educators always give the, the you know, private well, educators. Well, you know, I always thought one of the great strengths of Canada and the United States is we were the first two societies in the world to move to full, a for a full free education. And um, one of the things that really moved us uh, into uh, leadership in the world in terms of economy and sciences and other was the fact that so many people had the opportunity of getting a good education that otherwise was not available to them prior to the changes in legislation and policy. And I, I find it almost hysterical to see the people who had an opportunity to be successful, having gone through a public school system, now being champions and advocates of a private system that really turns their back on a system that gave them a chance to have a, a much different life than our grandparents I would, I would put it to you that a lot of them excelled in spite of the public school system. That's certainly been my experience with a lot of people. My, my point, though, is that we have so many more people who have had the opportunity of getting an education and to change society because of the uh, opportunities that were available to them by getting an education that otherwise, until the change in that policy, was not available to them. There's no question that opportunity is a good thing, but we don't but to provide opportunity the way we're doing it now through a state monopoly and forced taxation is the wrong way to do it because as it as time goes and your credit card reaches the limit ed education has to suffer because other priorities will fall into place like even debts and well interests. tom robert and i've had lots of disagreements about this um because i think you're make a, a really excellent point there that the people who've had the, the benefit of public education who've been able to improve the quality of life and in fact our whole society is better off because we have a public education system education. Yeah. some of them are and, and it's unfortunate that they don't acknowledge the benefit they've had and, and want to protect that for the next generation yeah i i agree with robert though you think there's, there's a reason i i I, have, I agree with robert that there's some problems in the public school sure system there are. that we have to address sure there are. i'm not sure that you just throw the whole thing out i think you go back and you, no, you get people choice well, you give people choice. You don't throw anything out. What you do people when you would give not people even notice the change. You could legislate it tomorrow. When you create that choice, what you do is create a two-tier system. 
and well, that you know, begins the dismantling of the whole public system. Anyway, so we have to end segment. this. And uh, Robert and Susan, okay. thank you very much for being on the well, program this morning. Me. And uh, it was fun being in the center. And uh, we'll be back <laughs> to talk of the town in just a moment.